Susanna was the 25th of 25 children. She eventually grew up, got married at the age of 19, and she would go on to have 19 children. What's so significant about Susanna is not the number of children that she had, but who her children would become. Here's a woman who never planted a church, she never published a book, but she modeled the gospel and taught the gospel so much that Susanna Wesley raised children who changed the world. John Wesley, one of her sons, became the founder of the Methodist movement. His brother, Charles, would become a spiritual titan, an evangelist who would travel throughout England and United States via horseback, preaching the gospel and making disciples. In fact, Charles would go on to write more than 6,000 hymns, one of which we just sang. This December, we're not only going to be singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we're also going to be digging into that song and celebrating the truths that are contained within it. A song that has been sung for 280 years. Why has this song had such staying power for that long? Well, one of the reasons is the extraordinary theology that's contained within its lyrics. The song gathers a plethora of truths about Jesus and puts them in rhythm and rhyme. But it's also memorable to be sung by people of all ages. And so as we dig into this song and dig into the truths of who this song is pointing us to, we are going to indeed give glory to the newborn king. And this morning, I want you to see that Jesus was born to bring peace. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans is often considered the Apostle Paul's theological magnum opus. This letter to the church at Rome is saturated with rich theology and truth of the gospel. Romans is an ocean of gospel truths in which believers are invited to discover the depths of its riches. The glorious truth of this book is that God justifies the guilty. God rescues and saves sinners by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul begins this letter in Romans chapter 1 articulating how Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, they are unrighteous. In Romans 2, he says Jews are unrighteous. Romans 3, in case you didn't get Romans 1 and Romans 2, the whole world is unrighteous. There is no one who seeks after God, no one who does good, no one who is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's good news, Romans 4. You can be made right with God through faith, just like Abraham. But then in Romans chapter 5, we see Paul make a pivot. He changes direction and builds upon Romans 1 through 4. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the scripture says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christmas is the world's annual reminder that they long for something that they do not have, peace. All people look for peace within and a peace in their relationships. It's a deep longing in the hearts of all people. So then the question is, how? How can you and I experience peace? And the answer is found in the gospel. Notice in the text what happens when you trust in Christ. I want you to see first, number one, that you have a permanent position before God. A permanent position before God. Verse one, Paul says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith. Now, when you're reading your Bible and you come to the word therefore, you need to go backwards before you go forwards. Indeed, the word therefore is a pivot word. You need to know what the word therefore is, therefore. So when we go back into chapter 4, we see repetitive references to Abraham's faith as the means by which he is declared righteous by God. Well, where does Paul get this? He gets it from Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, the Lord calls Abram to go out of his tent and look up into the sky and to see all the stars. And the Lord says, see if you can count them. That will be the number of your offspring. And then in Genesis 15, verse 6, the scripture says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham's believing the Lord was so significant that Paul gives 25 verses in chapter 4 addressing this truth. Like in chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In verse 9, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 13, Abraham's inheritance would come not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Then in verses 21, 22, and 23, he addresses how righteousness was credited to Abraham, but don't look now, it's also credited to us. Look at verse 23 of chapter 4. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for who, church? Us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Wow. So Abraham's righteous position before God, that was by faith, it's also for us. Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith. What was credited to Abraham as righteousness? His belief. His faith. When Abraham believed God's promise, his faith made him right before the Lord. Now grab hold of this wonderful truth. Through faith in Christ, you are permanently and forever righteous. Oh, this is rich. This is your permanent position before God. That phrase, since we have been declared righteous, is just one word in the original language, and it carries the meaning of being made innocent. Some of your trans translations may have the word justified. This is a legal term that would be used in a court of law. Imagine that a man carries a gun into a bank and robs the bank, takes all of the money, storms out, steals a car, takes off on a high-speed chase, avoids the police, but he eventually gets caught. He goes before the judge, who is good and just 
and righteous. And he has to give an account. The case is made, he's guilty. He has no way to get around it. But the moment before the judge lowers the gavel and declares him guilty, a man steps in whom he doesn't know and says, I want to take his punishment. I want you to take all of the punishment that he deserves and place it upon me. Well, the judge knows that someone has to pay for the penalty. And because this man steps in and voluntarily takes the punishment for this man, the man who is guilty is free to go. How would you respond if you were the robber? How would you feel? How would you live your life from that point forward? Well, don't look now, but that is you and me. You and I have trespassed God's law. We have sinned against him. All of us are guilty, Romans 1 through 3. There's no one here who can raise their hand and declare with Psalm 24, I have clean hands and a pure heart. I've never lifted up my soul to an idol. None of us can say that. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to take their guilty punishment. All of the judgment that they deserved, I am going to take it. So how does Jesus take it? He takes it at the cross. At the cross, Jesus gladly and willingly and joyfully takes your place so that in him you are free to go. In him you are justified. You are made right with God. Yes, you deserve judgment, but Jesus took your judgment. Yes, you deserve hell, but Jesus took your hell. Yes, you deserve death, but Jesus took your death. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we can gather at Christmas and sing with gusto. It's because this baby born in a manger grew up and became a man. Lived a perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he died the death that we deserved. He was placed in a tomb but didn't stay dead. For on the third day he came back to life and he is risen indeed. And those who turn from their sin and trust in him by faith, you are rescued from eternal judgment in him. You are justified, made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what Paul is driving home here. But you're sitting here thinking, but that's not fair. It's not fair that the guilty get to go free. And guess what? You're right. It's not fair. It's called grace. None of us deserve it. No one here can boast and peacock around and say, I earned it and I deserve it. In fact, those who've received grace realize that they don't deserve it. That's what makes it so amazing. That's why we can sing amazing grace is because of what God has done for us through the work of his son at the cross. And it is through the work of Jesus at the cross that he takes our place, substitutionary atonement, and he, he, he pays the cost that we, that we couldn't pay. This is what he does for us in the gospel. And so right before the judge slams the gavel and declares you guilty, Jesus steps in, takes your place, and says, no, 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 place it to my account. I'm going to take their judgment. I'm going to take what they deserve. And he takes it fully at the cross. So now, as you stand before the righteous, just judge, 
who always is good and always judges rightly, before he slams his gavel, he declares you innocent. You're not guilty. You're free to go in light of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus took your place, and in him you are justified. You are made right with God. There is a public declaration. It's not based upon your feelings. I don't feel justified, but quite literally, I feel that way often. I find myself emotionally in Romans 7, going back and forth. I don't do the things that I should, and then I do the things that I shouldn't. And Paul says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. There's this tug of war in the heart of the believer, in which we go back and forth, and there's times in which you may say, well, I don't feel justified. The beauty of the gospel is that it's not based upon how you feel. It's an objective public declaration that God goes on record and says, you are not guilty. You are innocent, not because you're awesome, but because my son is awesome. He went to the cross and took your place so that in him, by faith, when you trust in him, you're made righteous. You are justified. In fact, that word justified, you can kind of think of it this way. When God looks at you, he looks at you just if I'd never sinned in the first place. That's the way God sees you. As his child, to magnify the glory of his grace, to put his gospel on full display, to show who he is in the power of his gospel. He wants to show the world the power and the significance of who he is and what he has done, and he proves it through the cross. And through the cross, Jesus makes a way for you to be made right with God. And that position you have before God is permanent. The second truth I want you to see in the text, is that you have a permanent possession from God. A permanent possession from God. Look at verse 1. Paul says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have. That word for we have, it means to possess, to hold. You possess something that in Christ you can never lose. The Lord has graciously given Christy and I a child who has the inability to pick up after himself. <laughs> it's uncanny, y'all. He'll march into a room and put stuff down, and then he'll get distracted, go to a different room, and then forget what he had back there in the first place. You can quite literally go throughout our house, room by room, and pick up books and toys and shoes and uh, every, like you're just walking through with your hands full saying, hey, buddy, you, you forgot this. But if we're being honest, he comes by it naturally. I'm the exact same way. I get distracted easily, and all of a sudden I change minds. Like, like, Y'all, you should think, like, live here on a Sunday morning while I'm preaching. It's scary. Like, there's a thousand things that I'm thinking about, and I get distracted easily as of right now. And so, like, so much so, one time I had a church member who bought me for Christmas a detector uh, that would, you press a button, it helps you find your keys. Because I would, like, I'd put my keys down, and i walk away. Because <laughs> I forget that it was there. Okay, so... <laughs> if my salvation was dependent upon me not losing it. I'm in trouble. You see, if you can earn your salvation, you can lose your salvation. But guess what? You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. 
It is something that you possess all because of what Jesus has done for you. He says, we have, you hold it. It's in your possession, and it's something that you cannot lose. This is what God has done for you in the gospel, is that God has secured your salvation, and he has done so not through your good works, not through your public acts of affirmation and being awesome, but through the work of his son at the cross. You see, in Christ, you possess what you can never lose. In 1 John 5.13, John puts his thesis for that letter at the end. He says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, watch this, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. God wants you to have confidence in the security of your salvation. God wants you to march forth in the confidence of what you possess in Christ, that you permanently possess something that you cannot lose. God wants you to have confidence of who you are in Christ. Because if you and I, we were constantly waffling back and forth, am I in Christ, am I not, am I really, do I really believe this? If we kept going back and forth, we're wasting time. Why would we try and share the gospel with someone and give them the insecurity of not knowing if they're in Christ or not? You see, the gospel is something that God gives to us, and when we believe, when we trust in Christ, you are justified before God, but you also possess something that you cannot lose. Jesus addressed this in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Watch this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The security of your salvation is not in your hands, but in the omnipotent hand of the King of Kings. No one can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. Not even Satan himself can snatch your eternal security out of the hand of Christ. You are being held and you are possessed by God and he has you and you can never lose what he has entrusted to you. Paul entrusts, uh, Paul uh, teaches us this in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death. All day long, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have a permanent possession from God and nothing can snatch you out of the hand of Christ. No power of hell, no scheme of man, can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. So in Christ, you permanently possess something that you can never lose. Well, Kenneth, what is it? What do I have that I can never lose? Number three, permanent peace with God. Permanent peace with God. Verse one. Therefore, 
since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, outside of Christ, you and I, we were enemies of God. Okay, that's, that's strong language. Those are not my words. Paul's words. In fact, he says in Romans 5, verse 10, we were enemies. He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that we were by nature objects of wrath. We deserved judgment for our disobedience towards him. Our sin puts us at odds with an eternally holy God who is perfectly pure and righteous. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, sent his one and only son. So through Jesus, we have peace with God. Well, what did Jesus do to accomplish this peace? He went to the cross. Jesus was treated as your sins deserve. So that through faith in him, you are now treated as he deserves. All oh, the grace that God has extended to you. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Jesus was treated violently so that in him you can have permanent peace with God. You see, the blood-stained cross is where you find peace with God. We just sing this. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled reconciled. We become friends. So how can two enemies, those who are at odds with each other, become friends? There has to be a mediator, someone who can go in between. Paul tells us his name. In 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. You see, we needed someone who would represent us both. Someone who could understand both sides. Someone who could make peace between both sides. And so Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man, through the cross brings peace. He endures the full wrath of God at the cross. God's righteous anger towards our sin was satisfied completely at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus took all of our sin, all of our shame is accounted to him. And so now through the cross, we have been reconciled before God. We're no longer enemies with God. We're friends of God. And all of that takes place through the cross. You can have permanent peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel offers to us. In fact, Paul addresses this in Colossians 1.21. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. In Christ, you have been reconciled into a right relationship with God. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Praise his name. 
and yet through the cross. Not only does Jesus bring us peace with God, but out of the overflow of that relationship that we have with God, it leads to peace in our relationships. As the world around us is clawing at each other's throats, believers have an opportunity to shine like stars in a dark world. We get to show the world what peace in our relationships look like. One of the things I love hearing as your pastor is when visitors come and they say, boy, do your people love each other. You see, a a way that we get to show the world that we are disciples is that we love one another. And you see, the gospel is where we look to find peaceful relationships with one another. Kenneth, what do you mean? We love one another just as God in Christ first loved us. We forgive one another just as we've been forgiven in Christ. We sacrifice for one another just as Christ was sacrificed for us. We're patient with one another just as Christ was patient with us. We're devoted to one another just as God was devoted to us in Christ. We honor one another above ourselves just as Christ honored us above himself. We build one another up just as God has built us up in Christ. We're kind to one another just as God has been kind to us in Christ. We teach the truth with love to one another just as Christ taught the truth to us with love. We clothe ourselves with humility towards one another because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. We have compassion on one another, just as Christ was compassionate towards us. See, when we see how Jesus treats us in the gospel, it compels us to go and do the same. He not only models peace in our relationships, but through faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers us to love one another in light of the cross. And so as you are going to be shopping this month, as you are walking throughout your neighborhood, you're going to see people who are at odds with one another, anger, resentment, quick to rage, but you get to shine the light of Jesus, peace in your relationships because you have peace with God through Jesus. There's an overflow effect where the Holy Spirit directs your eyes to Jesus at the cross. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, it's amazing how it not only brings peace with God and your your vertical relationship with God, but it compels you to have horizontal relationships that model that gospel relationship with God. Peace with one another. But you know what else happens? It's not only was Jesus born to bring peace in your relationship with God and peace in your relationships with one another, but peace in your heart. The world is continually looking to where they can find peace right here, but they cannot find it. Like blind men in a dark room looking for a door handle, it cannot be found. They look for it in pornography, drugs, alcohol, materialism. Buy as much as you can. Try and fill up that hole in your heart, but it cannot be filled by anyone or anything other than Christ. 
peace inside here begins with peace with him. When you have a right relationship with God through faith in Christ, he brings his peace and he plants it right here. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through conflict. Jesus promised us that we will go through trial. We will go through times and seasons of deep pain and turmoil, but it's in the pain that Jesus is with us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus promised that he would be with us, and the Prince of Peace comes and abides and lives right here forever. And so Jesus becomes your anchor when the water gets choppy. Jesus is your strong tower that you can run to and be rescued. Jesus is your lighthouse who guides you home. Jesus is the one who provides you perfect peace, and he does so through his death on the cross. Is that when you see what he has done for you in the gospel, it compels you to find peace within your heart, that he indeed is your mainstay and the lifter of your head. He's your wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of conflict in the Philippian church between two women, Euodia and Syntyche, arguing, bickering, can't agree with one another, that Paul says this in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hear me. Peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Peace means the presence of Jesus in the conflict. You're going to go through conflict and trial and pain, but Jesus promises you, I will be with you. I'm going to bring peace right here. And even though the world around you is falling apart, I'm your anchor. I'm your firm foundation. I'm the one who will never divorce you. I'm the one who will never leave you. I'm the one who is faithful both now and forever. And you know what's so incredible? (laughs) Y'all, this is good. There's coming a day in the new heavens and in the new earth in which we are going to bask living under the rule and reign of the Prince of Peace. On that day, there's no more war, no more bullying, no more elbowing for position, no more fighting, no more arguing, no more racism, no more selfishness, no more pride, no more death, no more cancer. In fact, John describes that great day in Revelation 7 as a day in which there will be no tears. We're going to be in the presence of Christ and we're going to find peace, eternal peace. Peace is coming for those who have found peace with God through faith in Jesus. It's a promise. And God always keeps his promise. And so as we long for and anticipate that great day when we gather with all of the redeemed, with all who have found peace with God through faith in Jesus, we have a promised coming day that's coming soon, y'all in which we're going to live under the rule and the reign in a kingdom of perfect peace. Peace on earth. 
mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. All because on Christmas morn, the Prince of Peace was born. Y'all, as we look towards the celebration of Christmas, we have a Savior who went from the manger to the cross to the tomb who was seated on high. And he is interceding for you even now. So this Christmas, let's give glory to the newborn king. Let's celebrate this prince who was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Let's revel in a God who loves us so much that he gives us his best, his one and only son. And let's celebrate this king who came And he was born to bring you peace. And he accomplished it through his death and through his resurrection. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. It's yours through faith in Jesus Christ.